Okay, hi. Uh, we are in our Body, Soul, Spirit, or Spirit, Soul, Body series. Today we are uh, f- kicking off the section about the body. And this has been a week for body for bread. Here's what happened. It's the perfect week, okay? Uh, it started with Tuesday waking up to a toothache. And so I'm supposed to talk about body. And then I start feeling like I'm 40 and my teeth hurt. And then Wednesday, I, I, I or Thursday, I, I'm at the gym and I go to the warm up for my squats. We're doing squats this, this time. And I can do quite a lot of squats that are heavy weight. I'm warming up with a PVC pipe. And all of a sudden I go, oh, hey. This PVC pipe is heavy, and I'm out for the rest of the day, and now getting up is difficult, so this is really 40. And then Friday, I go to the doctor to have this thing frozen off, and like this whole time, I'm like, man, this body thing, I don't want to speak about anything that's going to cause me death, because it's just happening. So today, we kick off the series about the body, and this verse that Jen read, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, is something that has been uh, troubling to me, and maybe troubling to you. Uh, it's been used as one of those clobber verses. Your body's a temple. We ordered three dozen donuts. Make sure you have some. And there's some fake creamer out there. Throw that in there. Your, your body's a temple. Excuse me why I smoke a cigarette. Your body's a temple. And we hear all of these things, and it turns out to be a guilt trip. Uh, your body's a temple. Uh, I, I'm going to guilt trip you this while I go watch the last four seasons of The Office on Netflix and don't come outside for a month. This is how we, this verse has been used, and it's been troubling. This idea that uh, this guilt trip verse, but it's not what the verse was intended to be as. Paul, as always, is talking about something else. Yes, your body is a temple. Yes, we should steward what God given us, uh, but there's more to understand. We would be wise to realize before we throw this verse out to somebody, uh, trying to make them feel weird or, or make different life choices, uh, that the church has had a troubled, troubled time with this verse. Church has had a troubled time with shaming people because of their bodies. Uh, be it the Hellenization of the Greeks that gave us this idea of, of perfection that we still see today on the covers of our magazines at our grocery stores or on, on the, the, the dolls that our kids play with, this idea of what perfection looks like so we have to meet this perfect body, or it's the other side where we call everything that has to do with our bodies completely sinful. We have this dichotomy when it comes to the Bible. And, and Barbara Brown Taylor points out in her book that then we run into philosophies that affect how we think of the body. We have Freud that talks about the dark side of sexuality and what our bodies are, 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 what they can do when they go to the wrong end of it. And then we come to today where we think that our bodies are just biological matter leading to more object, objectification of what we live in. I have a friend who's a quadriplegic. He calls his body simply a skin suit uh, because he goes, this is the body I'm in, but it's, it's not me. I'm going to use whatever I have to glorify. And I think it's funny to hear this man talk about body because he's got this pure image of the body. And I think he's actually grabbing on to what Paul might have been looking at when he says our bodies are temples of the spirit. We need to look at the body because here's what happens. I think when we get a grip on what the spirit does within us, how the spirit transforms our soul, and then the physical aspect shows what our bodies to do. Our bodies mirror what's going on inside of us. 
And so we need to get a grip on this. And so there's these two truths I want us to look at, okay? As we look at this final section of spirit, soul, body, we need to realize that in order for the spirit of God to have full reign in an order in our lives and have the wholeness that we're looking for, we need to look at our bodies different. So the two truths, God needs an address. That's the first one. And the second truth is God is on display through our bodies, okay? That's where we're at. Uh, Now, God needs an address, Uh, let's go back to the very beginning. Genesis 1, if you have your Bibles, it's six pages in, depending on if you have a table of contents. Genesis 1, when we look at Genesis 1, the first thing we see, and we're going to go to all 66 books today, uh, in Genesis 1, the first thing that we think of is creation. This is how we got here. This is scientific proof for some people, or it's a nice story to other other, other people. But we come to Genesis 1 with an already loaded presupposition. But there's a different way of looking at Genesis 1, and it threw me off guard a few months ago when we started studying this. Genesis 1 is also a way to describe how temples were built. If you look at Genesis 1 in regards to how ancient culture looked at it, God is doing something more than just setting things up. God is making a place for him to be able to rest. And it all comes down to day seven. What happens on day seven? He rests. A temple is the only place where a deity rests, be it in, uh, uh, in, in our culture, where, where it comes to temples we see, that's where their God lives. We think churches belong, that's the house of God. This is where God naps. This is where God's bathroom is. God lives in this house. And so what God is doing throughout the six days of creation, one could very easily come to this, is God is making a place for himself to rest. That's why day seven, God rests. And so it comes down to this word Sabbath, rest. God made this place not so he can take a nap or do nothing, which is what we usually think about when we have Sabbath. I have friends and they say, I'm taking a Sabbath day. And all they're doing inside is just watching television, which is like, but is that the nest? Is that what Sabbath meant? No. Sure, it's part of it. We can all relax and unplug. But the rest that God took here wasn't a nap or do nothing. It was a rest because everything is in order and he's able to actually work at what he wanted to work at in the first place. God rested. The ancient tells us that the ancient uh, world uh, tells us that when the crisis has been resolved, when stability has been achieved, when things have settled down, that's when God rests. It's like when you clean your room or something and you finally get everything in order and you can sit down and go, okay, now we can get to work. I make Saturday morning breakfast for the family and the only way that I can make the pancakes, eggs, and bacon, because that's what you're supposed to have on Saturday morning, is I have to clean the kitchen first. Once the kitchen is in order, and it's a small kitchen, don't worry, and I'm the dishwasher, once everything's in order, Now we can make the pancakes because now we can mess it all up again. This is what the rest is getting at here. That's the type of rest God is doing. Now what he desires to do can be done because everything is taken care of. The Garden of Eden, what God makes is not just a fertile farmland in the Mesopotamian area. What God makes for himself is a sanctuary where God can dwell, where God can be worshipped. Okay, we're going to look at some words here. It's going to get nerdy. Hang on. 
Maybe it'll make sense, okay? When we look at Genesis 2, the word used to describe God's rest is the word Sabbath, which is the general term for ceasing, as in cease activity that once occupied your attention. Ceasing leads to another set of words. So God rested. Now it leads to another sort of word. The other word that describes Sabbath is this transition from activity to inactivity, which is the word nuach. You want to say it? Go ahead. New walk. You did good with that one, John. New walk. This is the word that's described that comes from resting. New walk talks about being in a position of safety, being in a position where you can actually work. It shows up in Exodus when God describes the Sabbath in Exodus 20, verse 11. For six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day, therefore, The Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. The phrase, all that is in them but he rested, is the Hebrew word you just learned, which is? Nuwak. You guys are listening. Awesome. It's a divine rest. It's a position of safety where we can focus on what needs to be done. This is the whole idea with Sabbath. God rests not so he can work, or sorry, let me say it. God works from rest, from a resting place is where God works. God doesn't work in order to rest. It's the song, everybody's working for the weekend. No, this is, that's the opposite. You want, God says, we, 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 we work from a rested place, which is a whole other topic for a whole other time, and we'll get there. But then, what happens to this resting place from God? Those of you who know the story, you can flip to Genesis 3. Sin happens. And when that happens, this temple area that God had says, God looks at it and goes, I can't, I can't rest here. How many of you, before you start watching your show, you look at the couch, you look at everything around and go, I just can't relax in here. There's so much stuff that needs to be done. This is God. He looks at the creation that he made, this this resting area, this temple area, and he looks at it and goes, I can't rest here because of sin. This resting place is not suitable. And so he begins this process, starting in Genesis 3 all the way to Revelation, where he begins the process of making a better resting place. The next stop comes in Exodus. Told you we're going to hit all 66. The next stop comes in Exodus. Uh, God takes them across. He goes to Sinai. They meet with him. God meets with the people at the base of Sinai. It's the first time God spoke to people out loud. And then shortly after in Exodus 30-something, Exodus uh, 31, God says, Moses, build me a tabernacle, a place for where God uh, can reside. It means dwelling place, a resting place. The tabernacle that was built in Exodus was one that could be moved as the people moved. The tabernacle would move. And so it was God's official mobile home or his airstream that went along with the people as they moved through the wilderness. And that's where God resided. That's where God rested outside the camp. Everyone knew where's God Look for the pillar of fire, turn left, and you're there. God lives in that tabernacle. It's a place where he rested. Then, as they move into the promised land and they settle in Jerusalem, Solomon is charged to build a temple from tabernacle to temple. And the temple, in its construction, if you really want to get into it, its construction mirrors the days of creation. There's light when you first walk into the temple. 
and it separates from darkness, and it goes on and on. So what we see in the construction of the temple is a recreation of what happens in Eden. God is building himself a resting place. Look how David describes it in Psalm 132. Let's go to his dwelling place. Let's worship at his footstool. Arise, Lord, come to your resting place. Your ark and the, you and the ark of your might. Dwelling place, tabernacle, the temple, the footstool is the ark. It's referring to God's throne room. The, uh, then the word in verse eight, come to your resting place. You all know that word. Nuwak, the place where you can be, the place where you can work from a place of rest. Now, if you go down to verse 13 of that same Psalm 132, for God has chosen Zion, another word for Jerusalem, for his dwelling, saying, this is my Nuwak, forever and ever. Here I will sit enthroned, for I have desired it. God over and over in the first part of the New Testament or the Old Testament, the first part of Scripture, is looking for a place to rest. Then what happens? Do we know the story of Ezekiel? Ezekiel chapter 10, something happens. God calls Ezekiel in Ezekiel 8. He looks through this peephole in the wall and he sees all sorts of atrocities happening in the temple. They're worshiping a foreign god. Some of them are bowing down to the sun. There's a whole bunch of stuff that should not be happening in God's temple. And and, and God says, Ezekiel, here's what's going to happen or here's what I'm going to do. In Ezekiel 10, 18, then the glory of the Lord departed over the threshold of the temple stopped above the cherubim. While I watched, the cherubim spread their wings and rose from the ground, and, and as they went, the wheels went with them. They stopped at the entrance of the gate, of the east gate of the Lord's house, and the glory of, the, of, of God of Israel was above them. From chapters 10 and 11, you see this progression because of what is all happening in the temple of God saying, I can't rest here anymore. I'm going to move out. And Ezekiel goes through this beautifully weird description of God's presence literally leaving the city. Ezekiel opens up with he's in Babylon and he sees the presence of God in Babylon and it's the the point where Ezekiel goes, what are you doing here? This isn't where you live. And this is how God got there. Things got so bad in his temple. Again, just like Eden, I can't rest there. I gotta go someplace else. So God leaves the temple again because he can't rest. And so we start with God in a garden, God in a tabernacle, God in a temple. He's looking for a place to rest. He leaves the temple because he can't find them. He needs an address because God wants to be found. God needs a body. God needs an address. When you give someone your home address, what are you saying? This is where I reside. This is where I live. You don't say, oh, I live off uh, Market Street. Come and find me. No. Uh, or I, I live on 65th and this. Just take a pick, go knock on the doors. You're bound to find me then. That's not what we do. We want an address so our deliveries show up at our door. My house is misnumbered. Just a tidbit of information on my street. Our houses are out of order. My house number should be my neighbor's house. My neighbor's number should be my house. I get the most interesting Amazon deliveries. They aren't mine. They get our diapers. 
So they get an even more boring one, but one that we desperately need. So we have a trail going back on our yard that like got your package again. Why? Because our addresses are mixed up and it's not worth the time and effort to fix it. It's just one of those things you got to deal with. God wants an address. He's searching for a body. He's searching for a place to be found, a place where he can rest. This is what Paul is getting at when he talks about your body is a temple of the spirit. Here's what the message says in Colossians. The mystery has been kept in the dark for so long, but now it's out in the open. God wanted everyone, not just Jews, to know this rich, glorious secret inside and out, regardless of their background, regardless of their religion, regardless of their religious standing. The mystery in a nutshell is just this, Christ in you. Therefore, you can look forward to sharing in God's glory. It's that simple. That is the substance of our message. We preach Christ warning people not to add to this message. And then in Corinthians, this is a Christ is in you. Christ's spirit resides in you. You are the place where God rests. And then Paul says in Corinthians 6, your body is a temple. It goes from a garden to a tabernacle to a temple. And then after Jesus, he goes, I need a place to rest. How are we going to do this? I'm going to awaken their spirits with my Holy Spirit, and I am going to rest inside of you. This is why Paul says, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. When, uh, when we say yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit awakens the spirit inside of us. Remember the core of who we are, the spirit, the part where God breathed in his image. That's our spirit. And then our, when he breathes into us, when we say yes to Jesus, the wall that keeps that from going outward is broken. And then our soul, the place where we have our decisions, our intellect, our will, our, our emotions, that part is redeemed because the spirit is working out. Remember the circles? The spirit is working outward redeems the soul and the next place that comes it's kind of like this explosion out is the body when you say yes to Jesus your soul, your spirit is set loose your soul is redeemed and your body becomes the display this is the kind of rest that God is giving that wants to have in us a place where he can redeem hey there you go it's right up there with a place where God can work and redeem starting at the core of who you are out to your physical bodies. This is why in Ephesians 2, Paul says, we are God's handiwork created to do good things as Jesus has, Christ has laid out before us. And it all culminates to this Revelation passage. And I don't think it'll be on the screen. Revelations 21 Three, it says this, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place, resting place, is now among the people, and he will dwell, rest with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Do you see this progression? The desire that God has is that your body be a place in which he can rest, and rest so that he may work. Not just so that we can sit back and say, God lives in me, yay, I'm gonna eat kale. No, God lives in you, why? So that you can do the work in which he's laid out before you to do. 
You following me or did I lose you in Exodus? Are you with me? Okay, because we can go back. It's fine. It's all still there. God wants to work from you, through you. You embody him. You become an incarnation of God to the world around you because you are a place where he can say, I can work with this. I could do some things here. This was the intention. This is the trajectory. Your body is not just a wonderland, as John Mayer may say. Your body is a desired resting place for God. Which leads to the second reality. God's new home address is our bodies. So that he can put, be put on display through our lives. When I was uh, in sophomore in college, mom and dad decided they were going to downsize. And so they sold the house I, was, I grew up in, and Dad said, I want you to come up. I was living in San Diego. They were in Orange County. And I want you to come up first, get all your stuff, and then I want to show you the house I'm thinking about buying. And, and he takes me to this house. It's an open house. There's a bunch of people in there. Dad knew the realtor from some other business deals. And so he says, we're going to go to this place. And he grabs a ladder. I'm like, what are we going to an open house with a ladder for? He walks in. Everyone's doing the formal tour thing. He waves to the realtor. He goes to the attic, puts the ladder up, and he says, get up there. Let's go. I'm like, Dad, there's an open house literally underneath us. It's fine. I worked it out. And he goes up there, and he starts pointing things out in the attic. It's a huge attic, okay? It's probably about 15, 20 feet of unused space. And he says, here's what I want to do. And we go over, we sit on the fireplace or the chimney. And he goes, I want to do this. I want to blow out that wall. You see that wall? Okay, I can imagine it. I want to raise this ceiling. I want to move the kitchen. I want to put this kind of thing here. And he's showing me all this. And he goes, all of this is completely wasted space. It's not being used. And the brilliant part is, none of those dummies downstairs realize it. Because I can drop a wall into the garage and then make a loft with a bathroom that I can use it as an office. I can put the kitchen over here. And just, he just starts going through everything. This was the way my dad worked. He never met a house that he couldn't remodel. And so the, the joke was always this. When dad died, we said, I bet you he gets to heaven and looks at God in the house and goes, I got a better idea. Uh, what if we move the fireplace six inches to the left? It'll just open the entire place up, something he's done before. But, he's, but this, that was not uncommon. So, but this is what he was doing. And I look at him and go, Dad, why? The house is fine. He goes, oh, it is, but it's not living up to its potential. It can be so much better. Yeah, we're going to buy it for this much, but when I'm done with this, it's going to be worth this much. And besides, this house isn't the type of place your mom can live in right now. I want to make it so it's, it's good enough for her and it functions for her the way that she wants to use it. This is what I think about when I hear that God is looking for a resting place in our lives. There might be some places in our lives where God is wishing to do some remodeling so that, he can, so that we can live to the level that you and I are capable of. Not to give us a guilt trip of how we might look or what has happened to us or what our bodies are doing. God still wants to work through you, through your body. He wants to be at rest so that he can work in the world around us using you. First, in order that to happen, we need to come up with some pretty basic things. We need to acknowledge that you and I have a body. You have a body. You are not a floating cloud. 
my son who's four has just realized that this is his hand and it's going to be his hand for the rest of his life. And so he goes, dad, whenever he eats something, what's this going to do to my body? And I have to make it up because I have no idea uh, what this is going to do. So everything right now is it's going to make your muscles stronger. That's what it's going to do. Even McDonald's, sure. It's going to make your muscles stronger because I really like that playground. But this is we first need to acknowledge. We have a body. We have something. We have something physical around us. Uh, And it means that we need to live into God's vision of normalcy when it comes to our bodies. So the first thing in the context of, of, of Corinthians 6, when it says your body is a temple, Paul is talking about sexual ethics. He says, look, sex isn't this willy-nilly thing that you do with anyone and everyone anytime you want it. Sex is defined for something. It's defined for a covenantal marriage. This is where sex is in bounds. So the first thing Paul says, your body is a temple. Use, use it correctly. Sex, marriage, covenant. This is what it's for. God deems that to be the normal relations for sex. But it's not all about sex. Sometimes, we, some of us wish it was, but there's more to what God is saying. God, the normal part of your body is this, eating and sleeping well. How many of you are regularly less than six hours of sleep? I'll raise my hand, I guess I'm the only one. Don't be ashamed. Eating and sleeping well is a normal part of of your body. How do we take care of it? Elijah learns this lesson in 1 Kings 19. He's exhausted. He just had this big ordeal. He goes and first thing God says, eat something. Take a nap. You're kind of cranky. And God delivers with crows the food for Elijah to eat. It's the first Uber eats of everything. And this is what God does. He says, eat something. Take a rest. This is important for you. Before he does anything else, before he does the deep soul work that needs to happen in Elijah, he starts with his physical needs. The next thing that's not normal, hating your body is not normal. Yet this is one of the biggest issues that we all face is a body image issue. Psalm says it this way, you are fearfully and wonderfully made, regardless of the condition you are in. You are made wonderfully by God. He desires to rest in your body no matter what your body might look like, no matter what abilities you may or may not have. He desires to rest within you and use you. Fearfully and wonderfully made. Your name is written on his hand because he cares for you. Everything about you. The next thing that's not normal is living in constant anxiety. That steals the way you live. It steals your joy. Philippians 4, be anxious for nothing. Matthew says, look at the birds. Jesus is talking. I take care of them. Why do you think I won't take care of you? Anxiety is not normal. Here's what is normal. Enjoy your life. Enjoy it. And I tell you, when you live into God's view of normal, it's going to be much more enjoyable than you think. Ecclesiastes says it this way, a person can do nothing better than to eat, drink, and find satisfaction in their work or their toil. This too I see from the hand of God, for without them, who can eat or find enjoyment? Later in Ecclesiastes, this is what I've observed to be good, that is appropriate for a person to eat, 
to drink, to find satisfaction with their labor under the sun for the few days of life God gave, has given them. That is really dark. For, theirs is, for, the, for this is their lot. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy, this is a gift of God. Enjoy life. Enjoy what you have. If you have the ability to make money, good on you. Use it for good. God has given you that. God has given you talents. God has given you gifts. God has given you things so that you can enjoy them. So, in order for us to begin to display God's handiwork and and display God's resting place in our bodies, we need to look at what is normal for God and live into that. The next step in our building project is, is what can God use? If God lives inside of you, this makes every single interaction you have, every single moment you have in your life, a sacred moment. If you are the temple, you are a sacred place, and everywhere you go is a sacred place. Why? Because temples are sacred. This is what Paul is getting at in Romans 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. This is your true and proper worship. This is what happens in a temple. You go to a sacred place. Everything about you, everything you do is offered back to God. Every moment, every interaction, every conversation, every minute alone, every show you watch, every meal, every trip to work, you get the point? The smallest thing that you do is offering back to God. And this is the part we don't like because it's hard. What is something that constantly happens in temples? sacrifices. No one likes to talk about the sacrifice because sacrifice means something dies. Something goes away. Something gets removed. And so if, it wasn't a, if it wasn't difficult, if it wasn't something that gets like that, then we wouldn't call it a sacrifice. We would call it borrowing or something else. But it's a sacrifice. Your life, a temple, sacrifice to God. Uh, b- before Jesus came, it was the sacrificial lamb that, that took, it, took away the sins, that it, it was placed on this altar, and everyone would say, this is yours, essentially. What we're giving you is yours. May it be a representation of a, a longer story in Leviticus. This is a picture of me, and I'm sacrificing. I'm giving it back to you, all of it, completely. It's yours. And so when Paul says, your life, your bodies." Sacrifice on the altar, everything about you, God's. In Galatians and Corinthians, Paul says, your body's not your own. It's not yours to begin with. Give it back to God. This is what you're supposed to do. It's your reasonable act of worship. So when we look at our bodies, when we look at the way that God wants to rest within us, what are the places you need to sacrifice, you need to give up in order to ensure God's remodeling project in your life where he, so he can make a place to rest? Have you ever thought of it that way? Your body is a temple. What walls need to be removed from your heart in order for God to be moved, in order for God to begin to work more? In December, we started doing a lot of searching for me, and I, I started with this. Um, I realized that I really like breakfast a whole lot, a little bit too much, 
bacon is one of God's greatest gifts. And then I really liked, after the boys went to bed, a snack. And then it got out of hand, as you can tell. It got a little bit out of hand. And so we started, I started thinking, I, this is not good. This is affecting me. I'm completely distracted. I'm thinking about this way too much. My breakfast obsession is taking me away, taking me away from my kids and my, my wife in the morning. I come home from the gym and I'm completely absorbed in making this and then I can't hang out with them before I have to go to work. And a friend of mine, a guy that I meet with said, have you tried, have you thought about fasting that? And I said, fasting sucks. No. And then he challenged me more and so about mid-December we tried this. I said, okay, if those things are taking me away from my family, I'm going to give them up. Because not only are they taking me away from my family, they're taking away health. They're taking away me from things that I could normally be doing. Uh, Prayer times, reading times, times of uh, thinking about other things that I shouldn't be thinking about. So I said, okay, I'll do it. So from about 7 p.m. to about 1 in the afternoon, no eating. And I'm really hungry. You can ask Jen and Dylan about that in the, in the morning time. It doesn't go well. But it's been great. Why? I have a whole space in my head where it used to be absorbed with something else that I can now spend time with Judah and Caleb. I can make Carrie breakfast every morning. It's the same thing, so it's easy. Every morning it's the same thing. But it's the, it's the idea of opening up the space that I know that God wants to use my body and what I do to put him on display. And even if it just right now hits the three people that I live with, good enough. That's where I'll start. When you look at your body, when you look at your habits, what is the thing that's taking you to a place in which God can't rest? Is it the thing you obsess about most? Is it money? thing you obsess about most and you're so thinking about that that you can't think of anything else God wants to do is it a fasting thing it doesn't have to be food it could be your phone how much time do you spend like this saw a dude walking yesterday almost ran him over because he was like this didn't see me what is taking your body and putting it in a place where God can't rest and when I say God can't rest God can't work this is the body that we need to have. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, last week we did this, and it seemed to go over well. Last week we did this, I'm going to pause. We've heard, we've sang, we've talked, we've prayed. I want us to take some time again to listen. And I want to pose this question that I want you to ask God. So if you would, put stuff away, take it off your lap, turn your phone off, don't do this. And here's the question for you. Be it a habit, a schedule, an image, when God sits in the attic space of your life and he props up on the, on the chimney and he looks at the potential that you have, what stands in his way? And I want you to seek the Lord on this. This isn't a guilt trip. This isn't a way to make you feel worse about your body like other people look at this body as a temple. This isn't something to make you feel bad. It's looking at what God wants to do 
and the thing in your life that's prevent, preventing him from doing so? Pride? Selfishness? What is it? So let's take a minute. Let's be quiet. It might be awkward for some. Some of you might not think of anything. That's fine. This might be weird for some of you. It's okay. We all do weird things every once in a while. This might be comfortable for some other of you. Great. But let's ask God. God, what are you saying to us in this time? I'll pray and then uh, we'll have a few minutes. Father, we thank you that you want to find a resting place within our bodies. You're in love with the shape of us. And you want to use us. You want to be put on display. You want us to be your address. To dwell with us, in us. So that we can do the things that you have laid out beforehand for us to do. And so Lord, as we pause, as we clear the decks of our brains, may your spirit begin to speak. May it work within our spirit. May you search us. And point out to us the places in which need to be remodeled for you to rest. Speak now, Lord.